Welcome to FHOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. I've, I've titled this message, Run. And the subtitle is, Following the Examples and Manner of those who've gone before. In order to really understand these couple verses, you need to understand the context in which they're written. So I want to just give you some idea of how the whole book of Hebrews is structured. If I could pick the central theme of Hebrews, it's Jesus. And if you look at chapter 1, he talks about that whoever wrote this book, and actually nobody knows, whoever wrote this book is talking about angels. And if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you know angels are kind of an area of interest. And from time to time, people come forward and say, I had a vision of an angel, and there's this description and a stir. And I just kind of shrug. Because Hebrews chapter 1 says, you know how glorious angels are? Well, Jesus is way more than that. And so every time the author of Hebrews says something magnificent about Jesus, he makes this comparison, first of all, angels, and then, yeah, but Jesus. Then there's this therefore section afterwards. If I can show you how magnificent Jesus is, the reason is not just to bring you to your knees in awe. Yes, do that. But also you're supposed to respond to that revelation of his magnificence. So let me just back up and give you a couple examples of how this works. Um, after Hebrews 1, he's just made this comparison. The, angel of the, the glory of angels here and the glory of Christ way up somewhere. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So the, the therefore here says, if Jesus is so much more glorious than angels, therefore you've got a much greater responsibility to respond to the gospel which he represents. So um, again, chapter 3 opens up with a comparison between Moses, great man of God, and Jesus. Same deal. Moses was great. Jesus is immeasurably greater. And the therefore takes place in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an, un, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end seeing how magnificent he is is supposed to make you trust him. And so my goal this morning is to exalt Jesus 
such that faith rises up in your heart and there are specific ways and I'm not going to just pull them out of my head or heart. The book of Hebrews lays out specific ways in which your trust should cause you to act. Let me go back and read our focus Focus verses again. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we've talked a little bit about the theme and the structure of the book. I just want to talk for a minute about the danger of reading chapters 11 and 12 in isolation. You remember chapter 11, right? This is the hall of fame, the Hebrews of, the, the heroes of faith, those who walked before by faith and did amazing things because their confidence was in God. And then chapter 12 is kind of an exhortation, right? Because of what just went before, you've got the examples of those who went before you. Run! There's a path that's already been made by those who've walked in faith before us. Get on that path and run down it. It's so easy to read chapter 11 there's all these, verse 1 gives a definition of faith. Verse 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God because everyone who comes to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. It, there's this danger in talking so much about faith that you forget about what your faith is in. I mean who your faith is in. Jesus is the center of this book, and Jesus is the object of our faith. And that's why I appreciate he doesn't just talk about running. He talks about fixing your eyes on Jesus, because that's really the center of what faith is, looking to him. There's a trend in a lot of places in the church to talk about faith as if it's just completely a resource inside yourself. Have faith. Well, if you have faith and you don't have sight of Jesus, I don't give five cents for your faith. Faith is about looking to Jesus, trusting in Jesus. It's like one day last week, three o'clock in the morning, I wake up to somebody shaking my shoulder. It's my five-year-old son. He's had a bad dream. And so I scooted over just a little bit, and he got in bed. That's a picture of faith. He was scared of something, and he just knew that if he got in bed with me, he'd be okay. That's how it is for us. We're the kids. And our father is the place of safety, but you, you, if you don't know where the place of safety is, I don't care what else you're trusting in. Faith brings you to God. Faith causes you to look to Jesus. I kind of began these meditations uh, six months ago. I thought, Steve Ross, you're 
getting to be really middle-aged and kind of a little bit round in the middle. And you want to do something. I mean, get up out of that chair and do something. And I did something foolish at first. I thought, yeah, do something. And I went and walked four miles. And then I couldn't walk again for a week. I, I mean, I couldn't walk anywhere. So then, uh, Pastor David Killingsworth recommended to uh, an app to me called Couch to 5K. And uh, it was a little bit merciful. You know, it starts you out walking and then it says, good, now run for a minute and 30 seconds. Well, that seems achievable. Uh, and then walk, and then run, and then walk, and then run, and two weeks later, okay, good, now walk, I mean, run for three minutes. Well, <laughs> three minutes, I'm going to die. And then I had a minor surgery and had to sit out for a couple weeks. And when I went back, I didn't go back to the app. I said, I wonder if I can run for a half a mile. And, and you know what? I could. I was like, wow, that's amazing. God, you're great. You're magnificent. A and then a mile. And then two miles. And I started to get kind of impressed with myself. You can do that when you run by yourself. And then I had to take my three teenagers to train for cross country. And I'm trying to run, and we're going to train together, right? This is great. And then I just got all the ego taken right out of me. Because my little daughter can smoke me. So, th th you know, I, I learned something there. We're not running alone. We're running together. And what if you happen to be the slowest one in the pack, like me? What, you know, I can stay running the whole time. That's the best I can do. And it's slow. What if I see somebody who's a better runner out ahead of me, and they've been running and smoking me, and I see him up ahead of me walking? What do I do? I'm not really talking about running here. I'm talking about the Christian life. What if you happen to be the slower Christian and it feels like everybody's passed you a long time ago, but they're walking and they're going to lap you? What do you do? You're supposed to pray for them because if they're walking, they're not giving their all. And I don't run because I'm fast. I have no more delusions about that. I run because I need to. I'm out there to give my best. And that's how it is in the Christian life. We're not supposed to compare ourselves to each other. But if I'm the last one in the pack and I see you walking ahead of me, I'm going to pray for you. Because that's not the way to approach the Christian life if we hope to honor Christ. So I ask this question, does my pace in the Christian life honor my king? Let's pause here and pray before we get into the text a little more deeply. Jesus, you are absolutely worthy of all that we can bring. And better than that, but we pray this morning that your grace would be present 
such that we don't bring you less than we can give. Jesus, that if we're knocking ourselves out, that that should be visible to your glory, that people should see that you're worthy because of the way that we run. Give us hearing ears and tender hearts and a will that's swift to respond to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud. What are we talking about? What, what is this great cloud? That's everybody from chapter 11. And you can think what you want to about the state of the dead, but I believe that this teaches that they're watching. All the saints who've come before are watching. So, what did all these witness? A great cloud of witnesses. What did they see? They saw a connection between their faith and God's faithfulness. And you can see that today too. Anybody remember Psalm 37, 4? It says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. I want to bring your attention to verse 5 though. It says, trust God and he will act. Trust God and he will act. That's what the great cloud of witnesses found. They trusted God, and he acted. So, particularly, just summary, chapter 11, Abel was accepted by God, Enoch went to heaven without dying, Noah built an ark, Abraham left his home, Sarah became a mother, the nation of Israel was built, Isaac invoked blessings, Jacob blessed Joseph's sons, Joseph prophesied the exodus, Moses' parents defied Pharaoh and hid their baby. Israel crossed the Red Sea. Kingdoms were conquered. Justice was enforced. Promises were laid hold of. Lions' mouths were sealed. Fires were quenched. The dead were raised. Persecutions were endured by faith. Now let me read you something you probably don't want to hear. Last two verses in chapter 11 say this, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Do you see the example of those who went before? God made a promise, and they lived by that promise, and they died trusting in the promise, not having received the promise. I hope you hate that. Because what you want is a tidy little formula that says, trust God and you'll get everything your heart desires. Well, that's not the example of those who went before. You want an example to follow? Look to Jesus. He trusted in God. He walked in righteousness and he died for it. If they've thus rejected the master of the house. How much more will they reject the servants? What should you expect? So I would encourage you to ask God for what he intends to do in you. That is, reproduce the life of Christ. He wants to reproduce the life of Christ in you. He wants to give you a willingness to walk like Jesus in this world. 
And it's great as long as we're talking about miracles and casting out demons and gathering disciples. And that's not wrong. But there's also a cross involved. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And that's our job in making disciples. To get people willing to take up their cross and follow Jesus. I can't pass this by. God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they, that is the heroes of faith, should not be made perfect. There are promises that God made to those who went before and they weren't fulfilled there and they might be fulfilled here. And the cloud of witnesses, in fact, are examining your life, your faith, and wondering, if I could guess, I would say praying to God and saying, Father, is this the generation when your promise is finally going to be fulfilled to me? Is it going to be walked out in shame? Is it going to be walked out in David? Is this the time? I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and watching and hoping And God's plan was that there should be generations of faithful people, generations of those who trust, who would come to share in the promises given to those who died in faith. Is it you? So, what do you do? We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So let's talk a little bit about laying aside weight and laying aside sin. It's interesting, isn't it, that he puts out two categories of things that you're supposed to lay aside? You hear the second one, it's sin. Well, what is this thing about weight? Has anybody in here ever not tried running? You haven't found a big enough dog yet. You will run when you find a bigger dog. The last time I remember enjoying running, I was a child. I, I, I liked running as a child. I remember as a child thinking I was pretty fast. People my age, a little bit older, I could beat them on the playground. I could run. And then we went to a track meet. A and me and a friend of mine, we're going to just race each other as a warm-up before the race. And this girl from some other school walked over and said, mind if I run with you? And she just toasted us. <laughs> she got, oh, I don't know, four or five steps ahead. And she said, sorry, boys. And then she took off. Well, you know, maybe she needed to carry something heavy so we had a chance. Or maybe not. When you're running, you don't need to carry extra stuff. And the American tendency is to gather stuff, right? 
We get stuff and more stuff and glory to God, stuff. Well, but do we run best with stuff? No. And I'm not trying to say that it's sinful to have stuff. But I am saying to you that he's calling you to run. And you might need to lighten up to do that. So not everything, is it a sin to have two or three cars? Depends on what they are. (laughs) This vehicle came up on my phone the other day. It was like $478,000. I think that would be a sin if that was in my driveway. I mean, seriously, the necessity is to get from one place to another. That's all you need to do. If you leave up, live up where Pastor Drew, Pastor Jamie live, you need a certain kind of vehicle that gets up there. You just have to have something that goes rough places because it's a rough place. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. I should have done that. But the point is, a weight is something that doesn't help you pursue Jesus in a manner that most glorifies him. And sin can do that too, but there are things that you have that you could do without, and they're not sin. And I can't fill in all the blanks for what that is. You need to pursue Jesus and say, Lord, is there something that I could get rid of that's not a sin that would help me run better? And then have a willingness to lay that down. Because I I promise you, that's visible. When you do something that's not morally necessary in order to run harder, that's good worship. And it's visible. People notice that sort of thing. The other part is sin. And obviously, I'm not going to pursue Jesus like I should if I am transgressing my conscience. There's two ways that happens. One is you're breaking a commandment and you know it. I think we've all tried that, right? And found grace. Glory to God. But the other thing is, is sometimes I feel a thing's wrong, and for me it is. Romans 14.23 says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If it's sin to my conscience, whether or not the law says it, I can't go there and expect that I'm going to run after Jesus. So we lay that aside. It's impossible to run with a ball and chain clamped on your ankle, and that's how sin is. It doesn't just weigh you down. You don't have a pace if you've got something clamped to your ankle. Therefore, let us run with endurance. and running and it's the effort that you put in I, I can walk a long time but am I giving my all uh-uh. no I'm not there's also a difference between running with endurance and sprinting you know what it is right you can't maintain a sprint you can't keep it up When I was in grade school, I wanted to be a sprinter because I I had no wish 
to do endurance things. Let's just get it over with. And the writer says, not like that. You're going to have to keep this up for a while. And how do you know, just being practical, what does this look like? He says, looking to Jesus. Where? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. That's the example of how to run. Well, well, how long did it take him to run that race to the cross? You could say his whole life, but I, I think it probably started in Gethsemane. Really, the cross did. The trials of the cross. I mean, he knew in his mind and heart from a pretty early age who he was and what he'd come to do. But the, the actual trial of the cross started in Gethsemane where he's sweating drops of blood and saying, Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will be done. He was already suffering there. But I believe he came to a place where he understood it's not God's will for the cup to pass. I must drink it. And so you're talking about roughly, I don't know, 12 hours? 12 hours. Remember Pastor Drew when he did the Iron Man contest a little bit ago? I believe it was a 10-hour completion time from start to finish. That's a deal. I, I, I've never been capable of that sort of exertion. And if I could guess, this side of glory, I won't ever be capable of that sort of exertion. But what he had to do is he had to pace himself. You don't ever sprint on a deal like that. You don't ride your bicycle. You don't swim as hard as you can on a deal like that. You have to meter out the energy that you have because you know, I've got a long way to go here. And Jesus didn't have to sprint on the cross. He had to suffer and suffer and suffer and trust until the time when the presence of God was hidden from him. And it was the worst thing of all when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And friend, you're following Jesus, and some days it'll feel like that. I don't have the strength to keep going, but I have to. I can't, I can't descend into bitterness or anger. This is something that it mentions in 1 Peter. It, though he was taunted and tortured, he did not rail at the people who were torturing him. He patiently endured that's the example. Whatever you're facing, it comes in packages. There's enough grace for today, right? You don't ever have to suffer more than one day. And often it's less than that. It's, it's a few hours here and, and maybe four, five, six hours there. Pain is something we just live with, right? We just do. And the example for endurance is Jesus facing the cross. He endured, endured, endured until his life was done. And your call is to take up the cross and follow him and endure like him for the joy set before you.
God's power is made perfect in weakness. Have you got your part covered? You got the weakness, he's got the strength. I have something I say to myself when I'm out running. I come around a part of a lap, and I say to myself, hmm, well, I'm not dying. And the upshot of that comment to myself is, so you can keep going. Therefore, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the object of our faith. The cloud of witnesses cheers us on, but we look past them to him. And I would say this morning that not only do we look past them to him, but every example of faith from Hebrews 11 was only a picture of the supreme man of faith, Jesus Christ. And that one of the reasons why we look past them to him is because none of them are perfect examples. They all walked down that road of faith that we're called to run on, looking at him who is the supreme example. And I don't often think about that, that Jesus walked by faith. Jesus ran a race of faith. As I think about the different rates at which we run, some of you run faster than me in the Christian life. But you who run faster don't see him any clearer than I do. Because the fastest of us and the slowest of us are not that far apart. And the reason why he's visible at all is because he's so glorious. And however slow you're running, you can still see Jesus, and it keeps you running in the right direction. We look to him, glorious, majestic, holy, heroic, triumphant, resurrected, ascended, glorified. It says in Philippians 2.5, let this same mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. Let this same mind be in you. Are you looking for glory? That will be yours later. Are you looking to be like Jesus? Look to him. It says in 1 John 3, 2, when we see him, we shall be made like him, for we shall see him as he is. And that's my hope this morning, is that you see Jesus. And that as you're transformed more into the likeness of Jesus, you have more more of a propensity to run. Robert, would you come? I want the Holy Spirit to have his way here this morning. We've just been told that if we regard Jesus as worthy, we're supposed to pick up the pace. Practically, Hebrews tells us that this means enduring God's discipline. That's chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. Striving for peace and holiness, chapter 12, verse 14. Laying hold of grace to refuse bitterness, verse 15. Avoiding sexual immorality, verse 16 living in gratitude and worship with reverent awe, verse 28. Continue in brotherly love, chapter 13, verse 1. Minister to strangers and inmates, 
verses 2 and 3. Stay free from the love of money, verse 5. Imitate the faith of your leaders, verse 7. And there's more. So I say to you this morning, if the Spirit is convicting you that your pace has not been bringing honor to Jesus, He calls you to come to the altar right now to pledge yourself afresh to the pursuit of His glory. Can I pray a blessing over you before you come? Lord Jesus, you are holy and you are worthy. And I believe that we've seen something of your glory this morning. We're drawn forward, drawn to give every bit of what we have and are in pursuit of you, to run with endurance not to slack, not to burn ourselves out, but to set our eyes on your suffering and set our hearts to imitate you, Jesus. Grant us to walk in a manner that's worthy of you, worthy of your suffering. Fill our eyes, fill our hearts with your majesty. We pray for your honor, Jesus. Amen. If he's calling you, come. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.